into Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. The future comes, and now my watch begins. It shall not end until my death. I shall miss no game, withhold no news, report all rumors. I shall wear no jerseys, and plead allegiance to no side. I shall live and die on my webpage. I am the word in the darkness. I am the watcher of the TV. I am the megaphone that informs the realms of geek. I pledge my hands and name to the Geek's Watch, for the geeks and all the geeks to come. Welcome back for another shift on the Geek's Watch. That's right, we're here and we're talking Black Mirror Season 4, Episode 6. The Black... We finally got there, we got to the end. It's going to be a very interesting episode, I think, because it's, it's been an in- interesting uh, season. What do you think, John? Uh, full of uh, downs and downs. One little up for you, maybe? <laughs> One up for me, I think. I, I would definitely say that. One up. Um, but before we do, let's, let's go ahead and get in some geek news. Uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about is that Stranger Things, a show that we talk about often here, uh, they released the count episode count number for season three, and it's going to be eight episodes again. So first season was eight episodes, second season was nine episodes, third season is going to be eight episodes again. What, what do you make of that? Do you, do you really think that they just added that one episode last season to maybe get a spinoff? I think that extra episode was just so they could shoehorn in the Lost Sister arc. Okay. Because that really, I mean, that if you look at it objectively, that feels like the one that doesn't belong in the whole thing. So, but the thing is, though, like, you do find out information about Eleven in that episode, and then when, you know, she finally returns back to the Hawkins gang, she's got, you know, she's got confidence, she's got an ability, or like, her ability to, or her... Her control over her ability, I guess is a better way to put it, is, is strengthened. Like, would you have been able to incorporate those things in the season if that episode hadn't happened? I think so. I think you could have just had her, like, showing that, I mean, because it had been a year that since Hopper had found her, and her powers were already getting stronger, and she's alone most of the time with nothing to do. She could have just been spending all day just kind of exercising her mind powers and you know, just kind of pushing her limits more and more, and it wasn't, I don't feel like it was fully necessary to go off on that tangent, or you could have saved it for, like, a different season to show, like, oh, well, this is something that happened while she was away, and do it kind of in flashbacks, because a lot of this season was basically flashbacks for her, flashbacks from immediately what happened after she defeated the Demigorgon, to, uh, you know, waking up in the Upside Down, and... You know, wandering around in the woods, murdering squirrels for food. <laughs> I mean, like, so there's no reason why they couldn't do that for a, a different season, rather than just kind of ram this one in there and just feel really kind of tonally out of place. Okay, you yeah, know, it is very much tonally out of place, and uh, it does seem like there's 
uh, parts that are in there just to uh, showcase what what happens at what happened at Hawkins Lab. So maybe that is the part that we're supposed to be looking towards for further seasons. But I don't, I don't know. It was another way they kind of shoehorned in uh, Papa being around still. <laughs> Well, in name, I mean, he was in a couple of flashbacks, right? Like, right. Well, yeah, in that one vision that Eight gave her. Right. Kali. Um, so, yeah, we know he's, he's going to come back because, you know, one way or another, you know, he's dead and it was just a projection or, like that one orderly said, he's still alive and right. taken somewhere. Which, I don't know how they would have, I mean, we're going to have to have a flashback of how he survived the Demi-Gorgon now. Yeah. And I'm kind of suspicious of like because we never really saw what happened on camera. What if there was a moment where like the Demi Gorgon kills all the other guards that were there, but then he approaches, uh, you know, Brenner, and he decides to turn around. Maybe Brenner turns out to be number one or something like that. Maybe. Yeah. So there's gonna be more there, and this is all just kind of the setup for that. So. Or what if it's even bigger conspiracy? Because like we see Paul Reiser's character survived uh, in the in the lab when it was being attacked by the Demodogs. So like, what if him being the head of Hawkins Labs and uh, Brenner being the head of Hawkins Lab both knew something? Knew something that no one else knew. They have some pork and repellent. Maybe, maybe. You know, the simplest way to, to put it. But. Uh, yeah, I mean, eight episodes. That's all we really got for information, but uh, it's we'll see. We'll see what that turns out to be. Uh, what was the story you wanted to talk about? Uh, one of my least favorite directors, Michael Bay, is apparently being approached for the live-action Lobo movie for DC. Yep. Well, now I I know there's a lot of hate amongst. Geeks and nerds for uh, Michael Bay because they feel like he's totally trashed Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles and Transformers for them. However, those movies internationally, on a global scale, have made lots of money. So just because American audiences aren't liking it, you can't fault you know Warner Brothers for being like, hey, maybe we go with these guys. You know, maybe this is the wrong way to put it, but I feel like Michael Bay's directing style, especially with each successive version of whatever franchise he's working on, paints the mass general America as a bunch of idiots. Well, I mean... That's not entirely inaccurate, true, but... Rather than painting a satirical picture of reality, he could be doing something better. Like I, I think he's just pandering to the the uh, overseas audiences by saying, "Hey, look, we're all just a bunch of dumbasses." Ha uh-huh. ha. You know, like our Transformers are buck teeth and speak and jive, and our Ninja Turtles like fart, and you know, the every human character is an idiot. You know, that works with them. It's you know, like. Well, you gotta, you gotta look at the, the ter- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movies are like they're they're kids movies. They're they're movies made for kids. I know that they originated when we were kids and we want them to be cool, but they, 
look at the old cartoon. It's pretty childish. Maybe there's no fart jokes, but there it there is. I mean the the, the secret of the ooze. There's there there's gas jokes because they they make the the two other mutated things uh, burp and they need to burp so that they can change back into a snapping turtle and fucking wolf or whatever the hell it was. Yeah. Okay. Here's the problem with that analogy. The original Ninja Turtles movie, produced by Golden Harvest, was independently written and directed. There was no studio involvement. Okay. New Line picked up the rights and distributed it, and it made them a crap load of money because it was a really well-done movie. This was a movie that wasn't just, you know, an adaptation of the comic book, mind you, not the cartoon. But it's not even an adaptation. The, the comic book is, is a much darker than what the movie ended up being. Yes, this was a good middle ground. This knew how to adapt the material and pay respect to it while... Pay respect to it? Yes. Come on, it's a rubber turtle suit. But they were awesome rubber turtle suits. No, they weren't. Yes, these were like the last projects created by Jim Henson, and they were really well made. Every movie that came after that did not feature Jim Henson puppetry, and that's why they look like hot garbage. <laughs> and now they look like hot CGI garbage. Okay. But my point being, Ninja Turtles 2 Secret of the Use, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, this is kind of a funny thing, the turtles never used their weapons on any enemies. No, I, yeah, I noticed it. Yes, because although the first turtle movie was extremely successful, there's a bunch of idiot parents out there that decided that this movie was going to like ruin children because it was going to make them violent ninjas. So, like, they lobbied against the studios that were releasing the next movies to not have them use their weapons at all. And that's basically true in the cartoon, too. You rarely never see them use their weapons except for, like, comic situations. In the cartoons, they can use their weapons on the Foot Clan because they're all robots. That's one thing I remember about the cartoon. The, the, the nameless, faceless Foot Clan people are all robots, so... Uh, Leonardo can use his sword and stuff like that. It was very minor, though. I remember like looking back on it once, and I'm like, man, these cartoons don't hold up well. <laughs> but yeah, I still well, believe that the first movie is a classic, and everything else after that shouldn't even be regarded as canon. So I just think that I I think that at, for for Lobo, I honestly think that it's good. It's a good, it's a good idea. Is it the person I want them to to or I want to direct the movie? No, I, I, I could. He wouldn't be my first choice. However, Michael Bay does know how to make good movies. Thirteen Hours is an incredible movie. The Island is an actually really good movie if people actually watch it. Yes, it is. Uh, Bad Boys and Bad Boys Two, good movies. Bad Boys Two not so much, but Bad Boys is a good movie. I thought Bad Boys Two was better than the first one. You thought that? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, I, I, I think the first one's better, mm-hmm. personally. Um, I just think that it, he could do a lot better, or we could we, we could do a lot worse, is what I'm trying to say. So. Yeah, because it could be Goyer. You wanna? I'll fight you over Goyer. David Goyer is a good director. I don't know. I don't care what you have to say. Okay. What's the best movie Goyer's ever directed? Blake- yeah, uh-huh. so wrong. I am not wrong. That is that is a good movie. People can fight me on it. I don't care. Come at me. Alright, well, we'll have to come up with some kind of uh, pros and cons of Blade movies here. Uh, <laughs> it is the best of the three. Like, I, I enjoy all three of those movies a lot, and but Blade Trinity is the best. 
You know, I kind of liken the Blade Trinity to the original Star Wars, where the middle one's my favorite, followed by the first one, and then the third only because there's nowhere lower for that one to go. No, it goes, it goes three, two, then one, and one is still amazing. Well, we'll have to discuss that. I, I think somewhere deep down inside, maybe, uh, I don't know, you used to have a childhood imaginary friend that was named Goyer, and you just, like, associated but there's no real, like, legitimate reason why you would find such fondness for this man. Because <laughs> I think he's good. I think he's a great storyteller. He, he's not the the best of persons. Like, he's kind of got a crude attitude that, you know, is brash and people stand offish for some people. But I think he's still, I think he's a very creative storyteller. Anyways, uh, back to uh, Michael Bay. Uh, reports are coming out also that he um, told Warner Brothers that he would only direct the movie if it's a lower budget movie because they want to throw two hundred million dollars at it. He said, "No, I don't. I don't want to make that movie." So that's a good thing. His lower budget movies are the ones that people and critics enjoy, whereas uh, people no one goes out and actually watches them. Now, is Logo still relevant? No, because he's a '90s creation. That's <laughs> He's like from the Spawn era. Yeah, like where everything's gonna be. Era. Yeah, exactly. So that's actually I think he's made before that, way before that. But that's where he became super popular, and there's no, he's not. I don't see how that's gonna translate into today. Into today, anyways. That's why I say Robert Rodriguez should make the movie, make it a complete uh, grindhouse feel, and. You can even put in Danny Trejo as Lobo with all the makeup that you, that the same makeup they did to make Ron Perlman look like Hellboy, and you, you've got the movie. It's made. It's right there. And Robert Rodriguez can make it for cheap because that's how he know he knows how to make cheap movies. Uh, yeah. Well, he does every job on the crew. But... Yeah, but it's also all fucking digital and it's all CGI and stuff, and it looks good. Mm. So that's that's why. And that's what I'm just saying that. That would be the perfect fit for this movie. However, Michael Bay does know how to make a big spectacle explosion uh, shoot 'em up movies, and that's what Lobo is. Don't try and go. People can love Lobo. That's fine. He's he's a he's a he's a interesting enough character, but don't try and go deep with him. He's not. They tried to do that in DC Comics, and then you got talking space dolphins. Oh yeah, I remember that. That was weird. It's a weird time. Yeah. And also his look is very, like, I was looking at a picture of Lobo today just to kind of remind myself, like, what was the appeal of this dude? And he just looks like a like a dreadlock-wearing juggalo. He's got a white face with, like, these big, like, exaggerated eyebrows and, like, black lines on the side of his face apart from his stubble. Yeah. It's like, he looks like a juggalo. And I was like... Well, I mean, I guess maybe you could draw that crowd in. Yeah, I, that's the crowd you'd probably be getting. Maybe you could have some soundtrack done by ICP. No, like stop. This. Stop putting that out there. We don't need that. Hey, it worked for Tron Legacy with Daft Punk. That's what this needs. It's just a, a legendary soundtrack by an iconic duo. What's wrong with you? <laughs> what is wrong with you? I just Seriously. want EC to implode under its own weight and pretentiousness. <laughs> Alright, next story. <laughs> uh... Black Panther, it's on its way out, or it's about to come out, I guess is the best, better way to put it. Ryan Coogler did an interview. He said that he wanted to use a Spider-Man villain, 
in the Black Panther movie, uh, but it didn't get to happen. But he wanted to put Kraven the Hunter. Like, that is brilliant. That would have been a great person to add to. That would have been a great fit. Yeah, exactly. In my mind, I've always wanted to see a Craving the Hunter storyline where he only goes after uh, characters that are based on animals. So Black Panther would have been an obvious one. Right. Spider-Man. The Rhino. The Rhino, yeah. He just goes I mean, after I don't know if he'd go get after other villains, but... Uh, yeah, uh, you know. Well, whether they're uh, heroes or villains, as long as they're animal based, like right. that's he needs to go kill them. Like that just becomes his thing. I, I, you know, I feel like that 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 is a story in one of the books somewhere. I think it might be in Ultimates Spider-Man, but the Ultimate Spider-Man, the Craven the Hunter is a he's more like he's more like a evil version of the Crocodile Hunter. I don't know if you ever read the Ultimate Spider-Man storyline or not. So he's like a. Like a megaverse version of Steve Irwin. Yeah, like he he has a uh, he has like a rowdy show uh, film crew like uh, following around all the time, and as he's hunting different animals, and uh, eventually he's like, I want to I want to hunt a, a bigger prey, so Spider Man's gonna be the one that I, I fight and I hunt down and fight kind of thing, and a and a, fa- a, a crew a film crew is filming him the whole time. Uh, what was the next story you wanted? Did you want to go to? Since you're on this Goyer bashing. Yes. So speaking rant. of Goyer and uh, good riddance to bad rubbishes. I hate you. <laughs> uh, due to other, uh, I guess, businesses that he has going on, other responsibilities, Goyer has stepped down as the director of Masters of the Universe. Now. Right. I would like to see Michael Bay direct that movie. Why? I don't understand. <laughs> because as you said, you he already he already ruined two two uh, cartoon TV shows into movies for you, and you want him to do a third. Yes, because I feel like this would be what finally like enough is enough, basically. And in fact, I didn't even bring that up earlier, but I'm kind of hoping he gets the logo gig because at least this way it would take him away from Transformers. <laughs> Like I know well, he he's says, al- he's already stepping away from Transformers. Technically, he's done, but that doesn't but mean he's he the producer still be still. producing. Yeah, he, like he needs be. to just be away from the franchise. I need someone like Brad Bird to take over, or uh, you know, seriously, I had this whole thing back when Transformers, like back in two thousand five, when I was really into this kind of stuff. I mean, I was heavy in the message boards. I was like giving my two cents on fan scripts, and like I was reading treatments. And uh, we were guessing who would be like a good director. I threw in that I believe Brad Bird would have made an excellent director for uh, a Transformers movie that took place in the 80s, was area like era appropriate, and uh, featured a much smaller story than the ridiculous like metal abominations that we got with the Michael Bay movies. Mm. Ultimately, I mean, I guess it's just neither here nor there, but. I don't know. I feel like sometimes there are certain directors that are better suited for certain type of material without typecasting them too much. Michael Bay would be great for a Masters of the Universe movie because I feel like it is a movie that requires excess and maybe just a bit of like tongue-in-cheekness with it. I mean, you have a guy who rides around on a giant tiger and a, and a villain whose like, space is a skeleton. You're good. This is one that doesn't need to take itself too seriously. It needs the right balance. But Lobo needs to take itself seriously? Well, Lobo just needs someone that's gonna give you a good action set piece movie. So, so there that you go. Still be Bay. There you go. You can switch the two. David Goyer can go over and do Lobo, and then 
Michael Bay can go do. I'm down for that. Where do I sign? Let's, Let's finalize this one right now. Man, Warner Brothers and whoever is doing Masters of the Universe needs to talk to us. Yeah. Let's <laughs> be Kevin Feige's. <laughs> uh, Alright, you know, I, I'm just saying, the, the reason David Goyer says that he's leaving is, is scheduling problems, because he's going to be wrapped up doing uh, episodes for Krypton, his, his TV right. show on sci-fi, so that's the reason why he, he would not be able to do that. Alright. Another movie that's on the pipeline that's down, that's down the ways, Nightwing. We know the director is Chris McKay, who made the Lego Batman movie. And he uh, went to Twitter, and he went to say, hey, uh, some early Valentine's Day news. Nightwing script expected very soon. Working on Ripomatic to show studio. This is going to be a long process, so don't expect casting news anytime soon. We are taking our time. Expect big things from DC, Jeff Johns, and Warner Brothers team. Exciting year ahead. Which thing goes also goes against uh, what he said. Well, kind of doesn't. Because he also tweeted uh, before that was, If you were to cast Nightwing, what is the most important quality you would look... Uh, you would... You look... In for, for an actor. I think he messed up on that. But he was asking, what would you look for in an actor? Uh, and the four choices he had were recognizable movie star, or a badass martial artist, or Romani, or vulnerable and emotional. So... Romani? Yeah, because there's a, there was a storyline that started to depict the Graysons as being Romani gypsies. Like, that's where his family line comes from. And they eventually join the circus. Oh, like Romanian. Right. Okay. Yeah, Romani. Something like that. That's what it's called. Have you never watched anything that has, like, Big Fat Gypsy Wedding or any gypsy shows that are out there? They call them Romani. Oh, I see. I didn't realize that. I think gypsy's supposed to be, like, a... Derogatory. Derogatory a little bit. Maybe a little bit. I don't know if it is or not. or something, yeah. Yeah. Well, I didn't realize they were supposed to be Romanian. That's interesting. Well, apparently that was a storyline that just got introduced, like, right before New 52, I want to say. Uh, so that it was pretty it was pretty new, and only a couple of stories in. But uh, So earlier in the year, or close to the end of last year, Chris McKay said we were supposed to get some casting news in February. Now... Now he's saying we're not gonna don't expect any casting news anytime soon. Maybe this was the news that he wanted. He wanted to ask people what they thought would be the best thing to look for in a uh, when casting Nightwing. So of those four choices, what you, what would you have picked? I picked uh, a badass martial artist. Yep, that was gonna be my choice too. Yeah, I think that's I think that's the the one like when you get I like. Tr- in more recent movie history, like movie making history, they can train just about any actor to learn to do martial arts or fight scenes and stuff like that, or they can at least uh, edit it well so you can't see the stunt devil all that all that bat, uh, clearly. Or just do like a CGI face swap nowadays. They can do that. Like I was wondering how they made it look like uh, Michael Sarah when they did all those fight scenes for Scott Pilgrim. Like I thought. That looks seamless. Like, Edgar, Edgar Wright made that look seamless. Like, I actually thought Michael Sarah was doing some fighting in that. 
Bellator and Natalie Portman and Black Swan. I mean, she trained hard, but there was still right. Like, yeah, there was a I body mean, double yeah. for a lot of the harder stuff, and it still looked like her. Yeah, the dancing has got to be difficult. So, uh, I would just say that I would want that. I would want a badass martial artist because even when you train actors to move, they don't move correctly like a person who's been doing it all all their life. Yeah. And. Uh, and for for Dick Grayson, uh, one who grew up in the circus as a trapeze artist, I want someone that's going to be able to move fluidly like that. Uh, I think the emotional stuff, you can you can train them. You can get a, a acting coach, whoever. I mean, obviously if they're going to be an act, if they're trying to be an actor anyway, they can they can get that to work. But we don't want to repeat of like the '80s action star, right? The person that can't act but but knows how to fight. Yeah, we don't want any Steven Seagal's or Bam Bams. <laughs> right, exactly. Or early career Schwarzenegger's. And yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, w- I would still stick with what I chose, but yeah, I understand what they're saying. I, we don't need a recognizable star, right? No, not at all. And in many cases, a recognizable star doesn't really guarantee anything. No. You know, just... I mean, look at look at what what's already happened in, in the Warner Brothers DC universe. Yeah. I guess I'd say universe twice there. So yeah, I think. Now, do you suppose we're gonna see a cameo by a different Batman in the Nightwing movie? So I was thinking about this. We are supposedly going forward with a uh, Nightwing and a Batgirl movie here. And maybe even a Joker movie, and a Harley Quinn Joker movie, and a Harley Quinn movie, and then a Harley Quinn uh, Gotham City Sirens movie, and then also the Suicide Squad 2 movie. Now, they say that that will probably... Suicide Squad 2 will probably be Batman, Ben Affleck's last uh, Batman role, right? Um, I think in this other stuff, if they haven't chosen a new actor to play Batman by this point... Just get some stuntman to wear the fucking suit and, and be in the background. You don't need Batman to come up and, and give lines or anything. You just need the silhouette. You just need someone kicking ass and then run and then grappling hook away. You don't need Batman or you don't need an actor in those movies. Or don't even have an actor. Just have the aftermath where you see you know beat up criminals and maybe a batarang stuck in a wall or something. Yeah, of course. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I mean, even if you just had him a silhouette sitting on the ledge, being like, yeah, looking, you know, watching Dick Grayson try to do the moves himself, try to clean up the streets or whatever. I'm just saying. If they don't have the new actor picked by that point, they can still have Batman in those movies. Yeah. Uh, what was the next story you wanted to go with? Uh, well, one of the shows that we like to talk about a lot on this podcast, Westworld, uh, launched an ARG on during the Super Bowl. Which told us when the show was coming back, too. Yeah. This Later this spring. And I really liked the piano version that they did for Kanye West's Runaway. Right. It's probably my favorite song from him, and I don't like a lot of songs of his. <sighs> I, I like that little adaptation that they did. Um, but some Eagle Eye fans were able to point out that uh, I guess some of the hidden symbols or messages in the commercial led to a website, which was like a uh, Delos travel like informational page, which um, if you click around, you'll find out that there's actually six worlds total. 
in this Westworld universe. So we know two of them so far. You know, Westworld, the title, you know, show. Right. And then we got a glimpse of what appears to be Samurai World. Okay. So, well, that leaves us with four other so far unknown worlds. So if we go off the original movie, there could be a uh, Roman world and a medieval world. Yes. And so then if... That would still leave for two unaccounted for. If we go with what we know that there's a sequel to the original movie, a future world, there could be a future world. So that leaves still one unaccounted for. And I, I'm really, really hoping that that last one is uh, Jurassic World. <laughs> I mean, it would be a great tie-in, seeing as how that, you know, Michael Crichton also wrote the Jurassic Park book. Yeah, and there is a fan theory that I'm a big fan of myself that states that the dinosaurs in Jurassic Park weren't actually clones, that it would, the science couldn't back up that clones would exist, even though they tried to explain it. That in reality they were just artificial, basically hosts, just like uh, the ones from Westworld. Right. So biological robots, basically. So that would be kind of a neat idea as well, and I would love to see that. I think that'd be awesome. I'd love <laughs> to see cowboys fighting dinosaurs. Holy shit, that'd be so cool. <laughs> Cadillacs and dinosaurs. Yeah, you, and you got a samurai riding up on a fucking stegosaurus. Dude, like... that'd be awesome. Dude, <laughs> or a triceratops wearing like plate armor. Yeah. <laughs> and like an archer on its back. That'd be so dope. Alright, uh, yeah, that's, uh, we'll have to, what, did you know what, the, you remember the name of the, the website? Um, oh man, it was like Delos uh, something or other. I have to look it up. We'll have to link it later. Okay. So one of my favorite shows from the from the 80s, 80s and 90s, was Steven Spielberg Presents Amazing Stories. Apparently over at Apple, which is trying to, you know, start up its own streaming channel, or I guess not, I don't know if it's going to be a streaming channel or what, but they're going to start doing their own original shows. They were going to do a reboot of Amazing Stories. Brian Fuller was supposed to be the showrunner for that. He has now left. Uh, over creative differences, right? I, I think so, but he's left a lot of stuff. Like, like he left American Gods. Uh, he left Star Star Trek Discovery. I, I, it seems kind of weird that he gets involved and then just leaves, right? I mean, is he just? I think, and this is just my opinion, but this is a sign to me of somebody who is. Uh, he doesn't realize he might be a hack, honestly believes in himself, capable to do a job, and then realizes halfway through, is like, oh, I'm in over my head. Well, I mean, two of his biggest shows, Pushing Daisies and, and Hannibal. I love Pushing Daisies. I, I've never seen an episode of Pushing Daisies. It's really good. I recommend it. But they're both very critically acclaimed. Mm -hmm. So, do you feel like those were just, like, two well, one-offs? The other show that he's working on right now is uh, Vampire Chronicles. Which I couldn't care less, so I couldn't really... Now, Vampire Chronicles... I believe that's the one that's... Uh, that's that, that one? Or... Right. Oh, okay. Huh, I wonder how that's going to turn out. Yeah. That's not a show you want to be cheap on, so... Nope. That'd be interesting. Although, Queen of the Dam kind of put a little damper on that whole series. <laughs> that did not turn out well. Nice. No. Not even the, the unfortunate passing of... Aaliyah helped that way. Yeah, usually that's a good sign that it's going to do well for some reason. <laughs> well, I mean, it usually drives people to it when you, you hear that it's their last performance. Like morbid curiosity. Right. 
Yeah, so I think that that's my opinion on the Brian Fuller thing. I don't think he's a total hack fraud. I just think that maybe he just got really lucky or just happened to have really, really good ideas at some point. And now he gets jobs based on his goodwill that he got from his earlier work. Right. But doesn't know how to deliver. Okay. Because Pushing Daisies, as amazing as it was, that show, I mean, it, it did horribly in the ratings, apparently. I mean, it only lasted, like, I think maybe two seasons. And it could have gone on for longer. Like, they basically had to wrap it up in the final episode in a really disgraceful way that like, I always feel bad for, which is when they give you the, oh, and this character goes on to do this and this, you know, like a... You know, I like that, though. I like know, it when they just get that. You see the, yeah. But, um... I mean, Discovery apparently hasn't been doing very well. A lot of people just don't know what to make of it. Although I like the theory that Discovery takes place in the uh, mirror universe. Evil, yeah, universe. Yeah. Of, uh, That's what I've heard. I've never, I haven't watched an episode of it, and yeah, I heard some people complain that you know the that show has really um, disrupted like what how they felt about the original shows. Like it, it, the. The, the good things that, that came out of, you know, Starfleet, and the idea of Starfleet and stuff of that from the original series and Next Generation are really being left to the wayside in this series. But and if it is the Mirror Universe, that makes sense. Yeah, and I kind of hope that that is a twist that they're working on in here. Like, we get glimpses of the, I guess, the Prime World where everything is like the original Trek. And then... They realize, oh man, like we just we're in the, the darkest timeline. <laughs> the darkest timeline. I like that that became part of like pop culture vernacular. I love that show. I love uh, Community. Dude, Community was just see that's a show. That's a creator of a show that you can tell there's genuinely something there that's in touch with like popular subconsciousness. Right. Almost so much of what he did on that show. And the writers that he hired, too, because obviously it's a group effort. He didn't come up with every single thing. Right. But it's so memeable. It is. It's so quotable. It's so quotable. It's, and, like, it's just unfortunate that more people didn't watch it. I mean, in this, I love the meta humor about it, the meta writing, you know, the idea that they play around with TV tropes so much. The jokes that took several seasons to set up and, like, only, like, the most eagle line of fans would have even caught it. Right. Like somebody saying Beetlejuice over the course of like multiple episodes, and on the third one, somebody dressed like Beetlejuice appears for a few frames in the background. I'm like, who would have thought of that? Right? Dan Harmon thought of that. Did you have another story? No, that's pretty much it. I did want to mention that several different trailers premiered this week, but. Um, well, didn't you want to talk about uh, the Walking Phoenix of it all? Oh, yes. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix is in talks. In talks, rumored to be potentially the next trip. Yeah. Uh, if it if it's true that the Martin Scorsese movie, uh, oh, produced by Martin Scorsese, directed by Todd Phillips, is going to be uh, kind of a adaptation of the Dark Knight Returns Joker, giving him his own movie. I guess I could see Joaquin Phoenix as that role, but I still don't think that he'd make a good Joker. I don't understand why 
everybody wants Joaquin Phoenix to be in a superhero movie. He was in, or he was the front runner for Doctor Strange be, until he decided not to do it, and then they got Benedict Cumberbatch, which I I thoroughly enjoy. So I'm glad that they got him. But I I don't understand the Joaquin Phoenix of it all. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is an enigma. He really is. First of all, his name is Joaquin. <laughs> and he's not Hispanic, as far as I know. Yeah, it's I don't... Weird. Well, I mean, they're, they're, his family was all a bunch of hippies. Oh, yeah. Like, there's like, River and... What is it? Fall? Is that his sister's name? Was it one of them, like, Moon Unit or something like uh, that? I don't know. I don't know. That's one of the Zappas. Yeah. But I mean, his sister is the one that's married to... Or was married to... Casey Affleck, I think. Yeah, that's the reason why Casey Affleck directed that movie that or that quote unquote documentary that Joaquin Phoenix was in that he wanted to become a I'm not there or something. Yeah. Like yeah, the the rapper. Okay. Well, see, Joaquin Phoenix is one of those character actors that really delves into the role, I think. And maybe that's what they're looking for, somebody that just stays committed to it. But yeah, at the same time I also kinda of feel like they've been trying to cram Joaquin Phoenix into just some kind of property or another, irregardless of whether he's appropriate for the material. Right. At this point, I can't name who would be a good like, Joker actor. Willem Dafoe. <laughs> Which, we, it came out this week that he was uh, originally uh, supposed to be in the 1989 Batman as the Joker, but he, he so cast it up. So was Robin Williams at one point, I heard. There you go. That would have been I, I would have liked Robin Williams as the Riddler, though. I think he would have made a great Riddler. I don't know so much about the Joker. Or a Clocking. A Clocking would be cool. Yeah. Obsessed with... Actually, no. Robin Williams would have been a good uh, Scarface. <laughs> he was... Uh, what's his name? Tesk. Tetch. No, Tetch is the Mad Hatter. He actually might have been a good Mad Hatter, too. Mad Hatter, too. But I just... I imagine him... Wesker. Yeah, the Arnold Wesker. I imagine him being like this really quiet, meek guy, but you know he has like a whole suitcase full of puppets, and obviously like he would give each one of them like a completely different personality and voice. But Scarface would be like the evil one, obviously. That right. Is you know his personality or whatever that storyline was. Well, there you go. Robin Williams could have been any of the the bad guys. Robin Williams could have been anybody. Yeah, he could have been a morose Mr. Freeze with a tragic storyline. Yeah. He could have been, uh, you know, King Tut. The condiment king? Steve Martin could have been King Tut. Oh, okay. Okay, get out. <laughs> get out. He was buried with the mule. No, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that there could have been... There could, there's there's got to be some other actors out there that, that would have been good for the Joker. Like, good for the Joker now. If you, I've heard a suggestion of... Uh, not Tom Brady. What's his name? Uh, I don't know, but... You, Adam Brody? Adam Brody? Oh, Adrian Brody. Adrian Brody, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if he could pull off the silliness of it. Like, mm-hmm. he, he's got the right facial structure, I'll give you that, but I just don't know if he'd be able to pull off the... I don't know. I think, the more I think about it... So, there's this movie called High School that he was in. He plays a drug dealer in it. And uh, I, could see, I could see that character making its way in. Um... I also thought Paul Bettany would have been a good Joker. I know now that he's—I he, know he's the Vision now, 
So that would never happen, but I always had that pop in. Well, I mean, like I said, like you're not truly a superhero character until you play two different superheroes. <laughs> Bonus points if it's across the other uh, faction as well. Uh, I mean, I, I guess. And like, and there's an even more elite club of those that have played three characters. So that's, that's true. It. That is true. Yeah. I mean, technically, let's see. Ryan Reynolds has played four because he was in R.I.P.D. Green Lantern, uh, Blade Trinity, and Deadpool. Twice. He has played Deadpool twice. Yeah, two different versions well, he, of the same character. Yeah, that's true. So, and then uh, Chris Evans is Captain America, Human Torch. Uh, if you want to count, um, what's the stupid train movie? Snowpiercer, because that's a, apparently it was a comic book. And so was the Losers. Wasn't it? And the Losers. I was going to get to that. I think. Oh, and he's also fucking Scott Pilgrim, Scott Pilgrim Lucas yeah. Lee, so that's five for him. Damn, he's a the man there. And There's probably going to be another one out there, too, that I don't know. <laughs> but, yeah. So it's just all these different ones. Yeah, I'll have to, that'll be some good homework assignment. Let's see who's going to play the most different comic book characters. Or graphic novel characters. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Patrick Wilson's getting up there. Because he was Night Owl. Yeah. He's going to be Ocean Master and Aquaman. And then he was also the voice of the president in Man of Steel? Either Man, Man of Steel or Batman v Superman. I think it was Batman v Superman. Okay. Patrick Wilson, yeah, I like him. And he might play Night Owl again in the TV version. Uh, do you think, do you think Lindenoff would hire him back? I don't see why not. I mean, if he's willing to do the role, I mean, maybe for continuity's sake, that wouldn't fit because he'd be the only returning cast member, I'm sure. Right. I'm sure they couldn't get Malin Ackerman or Billy Crudup or anyone else to come back. Why? You think those, those people were busy? They didn't do anything. <laughs> I, I, last thing I saw Malin Ackerman in was uh, The Final Girls, which was a, a good movie, just I, I haven't seen her in anything else. And then, I think she was in that Netflix uh, show, Easy. Oh, I didn't, so I didn't watch that. She gets it on with Kate Nikuchi. Okay, I need to go watch Easy now. They both talk to some of the scenes. Oh, really awesome. Interesting. Um, the Gooch. And what was the, the Gooch? What would what, what, you say the other person? Oh, Billy Crudup, yeah. yeah. Billy Crudup is going to be in the Flash movie. Yeah, he's the very, uh, no, uh, John Allen? Henry Allen. Henry Allen. It's so, that's funny. So, yeah, look how many people... Uh, and the comedian's gonna be. Well, comedian's already Thomas Wayne. Yeah, and he's gonna be. So why isn't he giving Mal- Alan Ackerman? Zack Snyder didn't give Al- Alan Ackerman a, a role in any of the fucking new DC movies. Well, maybe he feels bad because he pulled a Weinstein on her or something. Oh, you went there. Yeah. Me too. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I think that's enough for news for this week. <laughs> Let's go ahead and get into Black Mirror. Season 4, episode 6, the episode was called uh, Black Museum. Actually, before we get to that, uh, I wanted to say, I just wanted to give a shout-out to Daniel Juarez for all the information he provided to us on our Facebook page about uh, for our post of last week's episode about Metalhead, where he gave me some of the backstory that I was looking for that uh, I guess it was in an interview yes. that they 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 said that there was supposed to be a alternate ending where you got to see that there was a guy controlling some of the the dogs. 
I think it was just controlling that main one that was chasing um, the female character. So the reason why it was stopped at some points is because he was like in the middle of watching, giving his bath, his baby a bath or something like that. Yes. So he was controlling the dog from like overseas. It was a drone, and that was like his job apparently. Is like from home he would control this thing to go after people and right. kill them. <laughs> right. It's the whole dissociating thing. Like you. The, the, we, they do studies on that now. Like, if you hear some, it's something that's over there, it's through a screen or something like that, you don't, you can disconnect to the point where it doesn't, you don't think about the fact that you're killing people. It'd be interesting if they even added another element to it where it's like, to this guy, this is like a game that he pays to play. Oh. You know, and See, and that's what I'm talking about. That's what that episode needed to be good. It needed the, the twist. It needed the Black Mirror twist of, look, here is... This is what you need to look at. This is this is the mirror image of the where we're going in our society. You need to be able to show this to yourself to be like this is what you're doing, and that I I feel like you didn't have that in that episode. You know, strangely, I kind of see like that could be a possibility someday where there will be some private company that lets you like do like drone strikes for like. You know, six thousand dollars a pop or something. You know? Yeah, no, I I, th- I totally see it too. The U.S. government gives out a contract to some private uh, security system, security uh, company, and then that company also has a uh, VR gaming fucking branch. And now you're paying six thousand dollars a pop to play this video game where you're using you're you're calling down drone strikes on quote unquote terrorists. I mean, that kind of goes again with the whole Men on Fire episode that you were talking about. That you don't even know you're doing it, maybe? Like, right. To you, it's just a game. Yeah, and, exactly. Like, the government sells it as, like, oh, we have the best AI. Like, these guys are, you know, really accurate and whatever. In reality, they're just outsourcing and people don't even know they're being used. So that would be even, like, a double, like, whammy right there. But that's not what we got. No, we got a much simpler story. So, yeah, definitely thanks, Daniel, for helping us to kind of retroactively enjoy the episode a little bit more. Yep. With a little more context. <laughs> with a little bit more context. All right. Uh, Black Museum. This was an episode. This was a long episode, I felt like. Yeah. Was it was it longer than the normal episodes? Do you know? Yeah, I think it was about normal. It was about the same as the Christmas episode, White Christmas. Yeah, well, White Christmas was longer. I remember that being like an hour and a half long. Uh, I don't know what the run to run time on this one was. Sixty nine minutes. So it's a, just an. It's probably about. It's about nineteen twenty minutes longer than normal. Yeah. No, not even that. Nine nine minutes longer than normal. Sorry. Uh, but we got like three separate epi- three separate stories in it, just like we did for White Christmas, like you were saying. Yeah. Um, Each one apparently not really related to the other, and then you find out they actually are very intertwined. Very intertwined. Now, this was the episode that you also said you were very excited for, or well, at least part of it, because it's got the story that was written by Penn Jillette. Yes. The, and the first story, the one about the, the fucking doctor. the doctor, that was a. And I, and when I saw that, that that was written by Pendulette, I was like, oh, that makes a lot of fucking sense, because that was just creepy, because it was all sexual and fucking body horror and shit. Yeah. I And I loved it. <laughs> I bet you did. I mean, I enjoyed awesome. it, but it was just like, oh, that was so... Well, what I really liked about it is that it was definitely bordering on horror, but it was definitely still a very sci-fi base. I mean, this is like the idea of technology that could exist someday, you know, and obviously kind of pushed to the limits of 
when it's possible, but, you know, the idea that, you know, somebody volunteers for something like this, you experience, you know, pain and to the point where you get addicted to it, and then you, you live someone else's death, um, it reminded me, there was a lot of really interesting tropes that I've seen done in other media as well, like, um, I think the movie Strange Days with Ray Fiennes and uh, Angela Bassett had an element of this where you can relive other people's memories, and um, one of the things was that uh, there was a black market for reliving memories of people who died. You know, like because that gave you kind of a unique rush or whatever. You know, basically you felt like what it was like to die without having to die yourself. So you know, it was kind of like what happened in this episode, which is really interesting. And yeah, so <laughs> I guess uh, to kind of I guess the the groundwork, or rather the the main joining tissue of this episode is this uh, lady who shows up to a gas station. And needs to charge her car. I guess it's an electric, and she can like roll out a solar panel. It's a, that was also kind of weird. Well, one, I like the the name of the the gas station or the fuel up station. It was called BRB Connect, mm-hmm. which you know BRB is was a very common acronym for uh, computer speak back in the day. I don't know if people still say BRB. Be yeah, right back. Be right back. Yeah. But. Uh, so she pulls into the fuel station, then realizes that it's not functioning, or it's not on, or it's not in service, and then she just pulls out her uh, the solar panel out of the back out of the trunk anyway. So is the idea that the fuel station would have taken less time because and that would have been faster than using the solar panels? Do you think? I think so. Yes, because. Um from like my understanding of how like those electronic charging stations work, they still can take a while. Right. Like it can still take like up to an hour to fully charge your vehicle on one of those. So it was gonna take something like three hours right. for her to charge based on just the solar power. So she decides to go kill some time at this little rinky dink, you know, museum that looks like it's honestly like this that whole desert scene looked like it was kind of filmed here in the desert. It did. It, it really it looked like it could have done it somewhere out here. And uh, as a matter of fact, I'm not entirely convinced that that wasn't um, Winter Haven <laughs> that they shot this in. Uh, I, I forgot where the the license plate I think said California. Yeah, that, yeah, maybe it was maybe it was Winter Haven. Yeah, maybe. I thought I recognized the post office in the background. <laughs> but anyway. Yeah, so she decides to go waste some time by going to this um, this place called the Black Museum right next to it. Looks like a little tourist trap location. I mean, there's nothing else around it. You can't imagine that there'd be anything of value here. But she's like, well, I got three hours to kill. I'll go and check it out. She meets a kind of a flamboyant, weird host. Yeah, okay. And um, so she decides to go on the tour. And uh, starts uh, walking around, and I was really like kind of keeping my eyes peeled because I knew there was going to be callbacks to other episodes. Um, oh my god! And so yeah, this was like the like Odin's like vault like, <laughs> of Easter eggs of Easter eggs for other episodes of the show. Yeah, that the, the whole place was just uh, a museum for the Black Mirror like show. Uh, but I, one thing I want to talk about, and obviously this is skipping towards the end. But, like, the whole idea that 
she's kind of just killing time there, and like she she didn't wasn't expecting to go in there and stuff. When we we find out at the end of the episode that she it was it was purposely going there, like I had, I, I liked that that there was a twist at the end with her character, but I feel like I didn't like how they portrayed her in the beginning of the episode to be like, oh, what is this place, you know, kind of thing. Because and obviously she to be British too. <laughs> Well, that was I, I thought that was that was kind of funny, and that's that's fine to pretend to be British, but like the whole, the whole like oh I guess I'll go over there now. Like thinking about what her actual dialogue was, she's like uh, saying I think she says something like okay then or something like that. But I mean obviously that could have been her talking to her mother inside of her head. Yeah, that after that <coughs> revelation became apparent, and I'm like, holy shit, a twist within a twist. <laughs> like, everything just ties back together. Um, yeah, I, I wanted to kind of go back and be like, what other hints were there? You know, because a lot of these things you would have noticed the first time around. But uh, yeah, I didn't bother going back and rewatching it. But I figured that would have been kind of interesting. <laughs> So what are some of the things that you caught in the museum that reference oh. back to other stuff? Okay, so the ones that stood out to me, now I did kind of a little bit of online research as well to see what else other people caught, but the ones that I saw directly was the uh, somebody wearing one of the, like I guess, uh, like hunting gear from White Bear. Yeah, and it, the mask. And you see the the girl, the mugshot of the girl from White Bear. Is, yeah, is, that is was up in there. the background. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we saw that DNA 3D printer thingy from USS Calistra. Right. We saw the tablet from Archangel. Oh yeah, yeah. I saw that. I remember seeing that. And um, those are the main ones that stood out to me. And oh. somebody online said that they saw a mugshot for uh, the girl from Crocodile. Yep. So that implies that she was in fact caught after the episode. And then there's also the graphic novel that someone is reading. I think it's uh, Jack. It was Jack. Yeah, Jack is reading is the graphic novel version of... 15 Million Merits. Right. Yeah. So that was... Uh, I mean, obviously that one stood out. Oh, and uh, I guess the hospital was called St. Juniper. Well, yeah, St. Juniper, yeah, as opposed to San Junipero. And uh, there was a line that uh, Nish says at one point. He says, oh, isn't that something about uploading old people to the cloud? Right, which obviously is all so about... So that's a reference yeah. to St. Uh, San Junipero. For sure, yeah. And then she also has a line where she's, uh, they just moved on to the next viral miscarriage of justice they can hang uh, a hashtag off of, and which is a line out of Hated the Nation. But the one with the bees? Yes. Okay. Which, I believe you also see, you also see some bees. Oh, uh, some of the robot bees, yeah. I, I remember seeing that, yeah. So that made me wonder if all of these things really do take place in the same world, because we're seeing a lot of these things in there, uh, with the possible exception of... Because I've also heard a theory that, and I don't know if we've discussed this on here or not, that some of the things within Black Mirror would be considered shows within the show, and 15 Million Merits would be one of them. That's why we saw... Uh, the Jack character reading a graphic novel of 15 Million Merits because it's an adaptation of a work of fiction within that world. But then we we also saw in one of the earlier episodes like someone watching the one show oh, yeah, the that... Porn channel. The porn yeah, channel, the yeah. Babes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that... Uh, well, Which, that, that it doesn't... Crocodile. It doesn't necessarily mean it, do, it wouldn't, but yeah. 
maybe it's cross promotion. You know, they put in. <laughs> it could be. But that was an interesting idea too. That you know, there's uh, shows within the show. Um, but anyway, so it does imply that there's an overall interconnected world. So I'm kind of wondering where exactly does this take place? Maybe the reason why it was in the desert, surrounded by nothing else, is because they wanted to leave it open to like this is still the far future where a lot of this other stuff has already happened, and like you know this way they don't have to explain well why aren't there any like super sophisticated looking buildings and flying cars or whatever you know mm -hmm. like you know uh, it's like oh well because this is just like a hole in wall place in the middle of nowhere in some like tourist trap right. There was a, oh, so there's at one point where in the episode, I, I think it's at the very end of the episode, after uh, they finally crank the fucking electric chair thing all the way up and it, it erases her father for the, for the last time, you know, uh, you know. Uh, there is a tablet that's seen and it breaks down and it just goes to the to the dark screen and the off screen, which I thought could be it could just have been a coincidence, but it also you know the idea the name Black Mirror comes from when you're sitting there looking at a computer screen or a tablet screen or your your phone screen and it turns off and you kind of see you see your own reflection. Well, it's also a metaphor for like. Basically, that's a dark reflection. Right, a dark reflection of yourself. But, I mean, I just thought that that's also... It was cool that it was it shows up in the episode. Well, not only that, but a couple of times in this episode, I noticed that they played that... the Whenever they have a sound of a flat line, it actually sounds a lot like the sound from the boot-up screen in the intro of the show. Mm, that's true. I didn't think about that. Yeah, so that was like, oh, that's kind of neat. It sounds like the, uh, that, uh, basically the intro... Just a, beep, uh, a couple other ones that I saw, or I didn't see, or I saw them, but I, I, I'm also seeing it online, says that the, the Tommy's lollipop from uh, USS Callister, I remember seeing that, that yeah, was that in was there. That was inside the, uh, the 3D printer thingy. Right. Uh, you, like you said, a, a, a poster and face mask from White Bear, um, San Junipero, the twist framing episode is the same story structure as White Christmas. Oh, the names of the rats? Let's see, it says here. Oh, yeah. Uh, the lab rats of Rollo Haynes have the same names as the main characters from Black Mirror, Shut Up and Dance. Yeah. So. Which I wouldn't have caught that. <laughs> no. That would work. Yeah, I couldn't tell you the name of the characters. So, yeah. What what you think of the the character of Rollo Haynes? Um, I didn't. Well, I think he played the character well. I didn't like his character. Okay. Um, I felt like he was, I mean, entirely opportunistic, obviously, and I felt like he kind of delighted a little bit too much in the misfortune that technology caused people. Right. You know, he kind of reminded me of like. You know those stories, and you know usually some science sci-fi shows, or or will do the episode at least once where a devil-like character comes in and gives you what you want, but of course there's some kind of attachment to it. So I guess a needful things kind of thing. Yeah, like he relished a little too much in like the Faustian deals that he was a part of. Yes, like every time, every t in the three different stories, two different stories, three, three different stories, yeah. He comes in, he's like, hey, I have a great opportunity for you. 
and it's it's very much uh, in its prototype stages, but you know this will help you do this kind of thing. Yeah, and then it always is followed by oh well you know you have to expect to be side effects or something. And then effect. just like the Anish says, she's like yeah. but, and he's like what do you mean but? He's like well everything's going too well, and this is a story, this is a crime museum, so obviously there had to have been something gone wrong. Yeah, and the the point where he makes the the story of the doctor embellished with the notion that he died with a a boner, yeah, <laughs> or he still had a boner even though he was in a coma because yeah. the high was so great. Right. He was like, okay, I made that part up. <laughs> I was like, well, was that really necessary? Yeah. Well, it was for Pendulet. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. Uh. This episode was directed by a director by the name Colm McCarthy, and uh, some of the other credits to his name are six episodes of Peaky Blinders, which I've heard a lot of great things about. I have not watched an episode yet. Uh, one episode of Sherlock, The Sign of Three, which was a great episode. Uh, Doctor Who, The Bell of Saint jo- The Bells of Saint John, which is also a great episode. I think, yeah, that's the Ripper Street. Uh, two episodes of that. Outcast in 2010, but I don't know. That's not the same Outcast I was thinking of. The Tudors, Murphy's Law, Footballers' Wives. So a lot of TV shows. Uh, obviously, the episode's written. Uh, the rest of it, other than the Pendulette part, by uh, Charlie Brooker, like usual. Uh, I didn't really recognize any of the actors in this episode, except for the actor of Jack. Aldous Hodge... Uh, was in a show called Leverage that was really good. Uh, he was also in Straight Outta Compton. I forget who it is he plays, but he plays one of the rappers in that. He plays, plays the one that gets into the rap battle with, uh, or diss track battle with um, uh, Ice Cube. Uh. Yeah, so if that makes sense. Did you recognize any of the actors in, in any of these stories? No, and actually that brings up a good point. I felt like they really kind of went the opposite direction as far as having stunt casting in this season. You know, we didn't have anybody like uh, Donald Gleason or uh, Haley Atwell from previous seasons. or Which made me think, but were those episodes out before those guys were, were big though? Had Haley Atwell already done the first Avenger movie? Or the Captain first America Captain first America, Avenger? Yeah, yeah, I want to say she had. Huh. I mean, this might have been before Peggy Carter, but there was definitely post Captain America. I okay. Think. Okay. And of course, um, this was definitely before Donald Gleason was in Ex Machina. Star Wars and stuff, but he'd been doing stuff. Right, and his father is obviously famous too, but I yeah. think. Uh, and he had already been in a Harry Potter movie at that yes, point, I would assume. Was, yeah. But I just think that. I think Ex Machina is the movie that made him popular. Really? That's what launched him? I think so. Hmm. But, uh, I, I mean, still, I, I get what you're saying. There, there wasn't a lot of stunt. I think the stunt casting went into the directing. Like, you got, you had uh, Jodie Foster directing oh. Archangel. Uh, what was the first episode of this season? USS Callister. USS Callister. So you had Meth Damon in that, you know? Meth Damon. <laughs> but you also had, uh, you had the the girl from Gumball. You had the 
or no, Chewing Gum, or Chewing, I don't remember what the name of the show is, uh, but you also had Christine Malati, or whatever her name is. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then, and then the guy that's in Westworld. Jimmy, uh, Smith. Smith? Jimmy Simpson. Jimmy, Jimmy Simpson, yeah. Um... So, USS Callister had a lot of sun casting. I guess. I mean, as far as that goes, I wouldn't say they were, like, um... I, yeah, I guess they're not, they're not stunt yeah, casting. Not Dallas, Dallas Price, whatever, Howard. Yeah, Howard. you're right, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Uh, okay, so we, we got off of talking about the actual episode, though. The storyline. So, <laughs> the Doctor, the idea that... The, the the medical technology was going to make it so that he could easier to diagnose what the actual problem was with the patients, right? Yes. The idea was that a lot of patients couldn't describe their pain accurately or their symptoms, which led to misdiagnosis or missing certain conditions. So they, I guess that at the St. Juniper's Hospital, the 10th floor was research and development, and these guys were basically doing like Frankenstein experiments up there. They determined that, uh, well, they were trying to see if they could transfer consciousness or memories from one lab rat to another. Uh, thanks to an accident, they discovered that although they couldn't do that, uh, they could transfer experience or sensation from one lab rat to another. And uh, so that led to them deciding, hey, this is ready for human trials. So they asked a doctor to be like, hey, would you volunteer for this? It's irreversible. Uh, this, this will definitely be permanent. And it'll leave you with a really gnarly looking scar and a bolt sticking out of the side of your head. But you I, in, when I saw that, not to cut you off, but I thought that this was going to go like a Frankenstein's monster kind of way, but no, it didn't. That's exactly going what out. I thought. Yeah, it's like the scar and the bolt. I'm like, oh man, it's gonna start getting like body parts replaced or something. It's gonna look gnarly. But no, uh, all it was was just that they attached like a, some kind of neural cap to uh, a victim or a, a, a patient. patient. Yeah. And uh, he can kind of feel what they're going through without the actual physical pain. Harm. Yeah. Oh, no, he's definitely. Or, yeah, pain, no, pain. sorry, yeah, you're right, the physical. None of the actual physical consequences of that pain, just the sensation. So apparently it's really successful. Uh, he's able to diagnose things they weren't even looking for. His success rate goes way up. I think that's one of the things they said that he would have kind of a bad record of like losing patients or something like that. And, uh, yeah, so he starts getting really, really good at it, but then it starts to affect his life a little bit. Well, he throws it into his sex life. Like, he starts using the device to, I guess, bring more pleasure to his partner, but then as he's doing that, he's being able to pleasure, er, to uh, experience the pleasure, his own pleasure and his partner's pleasure at the same time. So he's getting, like, double the dose. Right. So the endorphins have got to be, you know, injecting hard into his brain. Yeah. Skip to, you know, a little bit down the line, his partner, after the, the act of sex, ends up stepping, and that was the gross, like, just the idea of this happening, stepping on a, a plug uh, so that the prongs go through her foot right after he also has an orgasm, like, it crosses wires in his brain, <laughs> basically, so now he can only experience, or now pain is also a pleasure. Yes, and... Honestly, this would have been a really cool entry into, like, a, a Hellraiser story. Yeah. This would have, th this is exactly what 
Hellraiser is all about. It's about blurring the lines between pleasure and pain, where they become one. Yeah. And the more extreme it is, then uh, I mean, he really was starting to go down that route. He was self-inflicting. Well, before we go to that part, though, uh, I guess what really kind of started to change things was one day he felt a well, patient die. Well, yeah, he had, she she was having a heart attack, and instead of saying, "Hey, she's having a heart attack," which they already knew. Uh, he he makes her he, he throws a device on her and then and he experiences every. Well, before that, there was a like a mayor or something that had been poisoned. Oh, that's right. Yeah, nobody knew what was wrong with him, and he as in the struggle to try to figure it out because he couldn't describe the sensation of being poisoned. I guess that's kind of new to him as well. Uh, the mayor ended up dying, and he felt that firsthand. Except he didn't actually die. He just blacked out for like five minutes, I think they said. And he would, that's when things really just changed for the worse. Right. Where he became addicted to that. And he had to start feeling pain. And he wanted to feel people die. And he started to become extremely sadistic in sex as well. To the point where his partner didn't want to be with him anymore. Right. And ultimately that drove him to basically be like a junkie at the hospital. He'd be working there on his days off. Just waiting to feel the next patient that came in, and uh, when that wasn't enough either, went out and killed some hobo American Psycho style. Like straight up drill to the head. That was, cre- I mean, he already looked creepy from all the cuts and stuff on his face. Yeah. And uh I like how they pointed out that him being a doctor, he knew exactly how far he could go on himself. On himself, and so you see like trails of blood and. And he also, but he also had like the his Achilles tendon like severed at one point. It's like I don't know how he was able to do that and not fuck himself up. Well, he knew how hard it hit him. Uh, I don't know about that. I think the makeup went a little bit too far. <laughs> the gouging makeup, yeah. And the, I, at first, I thought I was like, oh man, like are we gonna start seeing body parts hanging on the floor now? And you do see what looks like pieces of skin, and he's pulling teeth out and. Oh, just horrible-looking stuff, which I'm like, oh, yeah, this is cool. So the part that ends up in the museum is the Neuronet headpiece that he would put on on a patient. Uh, That's because, I guess, uh, after he killed the hobo, I guess he got such a high from it that he just went into a coma, and he's been there ever since. He's still... Technically in the hospital, I suppose. Yeah. So he's still alive. He's unconscious, and uh, we're to believe Rolo, the uh, storyteller, still has a uh, you know bad case of priapism going on. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, next story would be the story of Jack and Carrie. Which how messed up is this one? And she gets hit by a car after after they they have a one night stand at a Halloween party. They end up getting pregnant, having the baby. They, you know, they they seem to be making it work. The you know, as a couple and as a family, she goes to take a picture of the t- of the father and son, and she gets hit by a truck. Which I know you like this movie. Did that not remind you of that scene in Identity? Yes, very much. <laughs> uh, I kind of thought that's where this was going to be going. I was like, oh man, did that kid just will his mom to get run over? Then she's in a coma because she didn't die. We come to find out that there's a technology that allow you to communicate with a person in a coma, even though they are not able to 
speak. Speak it's or just rudimentary yeah. yes or no's. Yeah, it has to be yes or no. So they can understand you. They just don't have the ability to respond, but they got, they do have the ability to manipulate a device that says yes or no. Um, from that, they Rolo comes in and says, "Hey, I have this new technology. We can download her consciousness into this thumb drive and then put it into your body, so that you'd have two brains inside of or two consciousness inside one body." I get it. I mean, obviously, Jack at first is like, well, we need to talk about this, and Carrie's like, no, 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 this is what we want to do. This is the this is the option. This is the solution. But, yeah, unless you were planning on spending the rest of your life with her, and, it, I mean, to the point it did seem like he was, why would you want to do this? Why would why would anybody agree to this? This is just a bad idea yeah. from the get-go. Because, like, no, what are you doing? No, yeah, you don't want another person inside your brain. Yeah, and I mean, very soon, like after, I guess the honeymoon period of this whole thing is over, it's just, they constantly keep getting on each other's nerves, uh, they're doing things to purposely aggravate each other, like, uh, since she can experience everything he experiences, he'll eat sardines, which she hates. Which she hates, yeah. Punishing her. Right. I'm like, okay, that's not healthy. No, not at all. And on the outset, he looks like he's having like a schizophrenic attack because he's just arguing with himself. And that's what I really thought this was gonna, where the episode was going to go. I thought the son, Parker, was going to grow up being like, oh, obviously my father was schizophrenic crazy because I saw him arguing with himself and fighting himself at some point. But uh, that, that never pans out that way. I kind of thought that she was going to somehow exert her will over his at some point. And she would start taking over his body, and it would be like eventually she would be the dominant personality, and he would be reduced to being inside like that little consciousness chamber. Right. But uh, no, it was so pretty straightforward. Isn't it? So then they Rolo adds in a pause button. Yeah. Essentially, and it it literally it, I was expecting the pause button to work like how in White Christmas, where uh, the 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 what was it called the egg? No. Yeah. You still experience passage of time. Right. No, like, to her, she literally just, like, doesn't realize anything happened. And it's already two, eight weeks later, yeah. after the first pause. And she's like, what? Eight weeks? I, you know, she's, you know, I, it's eight weeks I didn't get to be with my son, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Uh, Which is kind of a dick move on his part, too. Like, damn. Like, yeah, weird. no, yeah, exactly. And, I mean, but then again, you're, he's getting a break from a person inside of his brain. Constantly criticizing him, constantly saying, you know, he's doing things wrong. That's true. It sounded like he was really backed up. He probably just needed to, like, use all that time to unwind and rub a few out. <laughs> well, I mean, and then get to the, you know, the, the next-door neighbor. He ends up kind of, or he ends up getting in a romantic relationship with her and uh, having a woman inside of his brain, and not, not just a woman, but his ex-girlfriend, baby mama, wife. I don't know. They never specify whether or not they got married. Yeah, I don't think they were married. I, I didn't feel like they did. Yeah. But obviously that would be an awkward situation, and then the the pause button comes into play again, and the girlfriend does not like ex-girlfriend. No, she did not. Uh, she asserted her place. Right. So then the next thing Rolo comes up with is like, oh, we can take the consciousness out of you and put it into this fluffy bunny toy. Which, like monkey or something. Like oh, that. that's right, monkey, not bunny. But 
now the person is regulated to being a, a toy. That, and then the other bad thing is that they never explain this stuff to Parker. Not that he'd be old enough to understand any of it, but it's like, this is monkey. You know, instead of saying, hey, this is mom, you know, you need to treat it as such. Yeah, and they mentioned that, like, the monkey can feel... And they can see, so in essence, it was like a you know replacement body. But she couldn't control it. She was basically just a passive observer. No, the only thing she could control is by saying, uh, monkey, "Monkey need a hug." And monkey is happy. Yeah, something. Yeah. So, <laughs> I mean, I mean, talk about like maybe uh, existence worse than death at this point. <laughs> okay, so this gets into the other part, and we'll talk about it again. With the third story, but once again, this is the same thing as I I'm, I, I, I brought up with USS Callister. Is this really their consciousness? Is it, or is it just a program that believes that it's a consciousness? Well, I think it's. I definitely think it's a copy of the consciousness. My theory or my philosophy, um, like. For instance, let's say uh, in the Prestige, uh-huh. uh, the, the the Tesla cloning machine made an exact copy of you, complete with all your memories. Right. But it was a completely separate version of you. So, at that point, you two are independent of each other, even though you have the same starting point. Right. Which is why one of them would always kill the other. Right. You know, for survival purposes. Um, I think that the original mind is its own thing. Once you make a copy of it, although the copy has the same starting point, it's no longer the same person. It thinks it's the same person, and it creates its own new memories, but it is a copy. But see, once again, I, I think what you're doing... Okay, my better analogy, my analogy for it is a rubbing. Like, uh, like when, you, when you know, archaeologists or someone studying uh, old architecture, you know, takes a piece of paper... And, and takes a crayon or wax or whatever and rubs uh, against an engraving onto that piece of paper. Like, they both look the same because they're both part of the same thing, but it's literally just a copy of that. It's not that. It's not the thing. Right. So in this situation, especially in USS Callister, they're not alive. They're not – those aren't – they're not alive. They're not conscious but beings. But they're new independent beings. They're not. They they believe that they are. The program is telling them that they are. It's no. not that they believe that they are because they, they don't be, have consciousness. What I think the mistake here is is that you – well, they believe that they are the same person that they came from. Right. And they're not. I, I, no, but, I get what you're saying too. But they have their own new experiences and independent thoughts. They are artificial consciousnesses. Separate from the original, they're not alive in the sense that they're not organic, but they are still formulating new thoughts and ideas. They're not programs because programs. But I'm saying were... I'm saying they're not forming new new thoughts and new ideas. I think that that's the program that's been programmed to think that it's making new thoughts and new ideas. And, and think is the wrong word because it's not thinking. It's literally running program. See, and I don't think they are running programs. I think maybe it could be explained as. You know, it's sophisticated enough that it takes an algorithm of your thought processes mm -hmm. and replicates those. So that's what's still going on. But I still think that they are 
although they're not the same person as the original. Like Carrie in the mind of Jack is no longer the Carrie that used to be the individual flesh and blood person. Right. It is a facsimile of her mind that's continuing and it's generating new thoughts, new memories. I mean, the fact that she experiences what it's like to take a piss with a dick, and she says, oh man, I'll never get used to that. That's weird. You know? Right. She's remembering having a body as a female. Right. Now she's disembodied and she's experiencing things from within the male, uh, her male partner. So she is still thinking in the way that Carrie used to think, but it's no longer Carrie. They're kind of, it's kind of like the clone from uh, the Halley at Will, you know, Be Right Back episode. Well, that's exactly what I'm going at, but once again, the clone isn't, it's just, I think it, I mean, I think even more so in that one, that's just the program. That one is more of a program because that one did not take an imprint of the person's mind it was more based on like the social media. I right. would say that that's like a less advanced version of what eventually came to happen in this episode in the USS Callister. Okay. All right. Let's let, you know what? Let's contact Charlie Brooker. It's uh, the off season now. It should be like free. We'll get him to. Actually, it wouldn't be the off season because it, now would be when he's writing stuff for the next season. We need it when the episodes are on. Is when. Oh, the, that's when he's taking a break. That's when he's taking a break. All right. Well, next year this time, okay. we'll contact him. Uh, like, hey, are these people real or are they just like <laughs> randos? So I, the I think the and then the worst part is that we find out that the the monkey that's inside the case is still got Carrie's consciousness or program inside of it. It's like, man, that thing has great battery life. And that, that's true too. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, it she has to quote unquote exist until the end of time in that bunny. Still saying, but or I don't know why I keep saying bunny. Monkey needs a, monkey needs a hug or monkey is happy. Yeah, and all because it turns out that although that that technology to create that type of thing was outlawed, it also became outlawed to uh, euthanize artificial or whatever they call those types of people now that have been digitized. Yeah. Because now that's inhumane as well. So. I, which I think is hilarious because that's the same thing that happened in Archangel. Like it's. Not not that particular thing, but like the the idea that this is a prototype, and then well now those this program is outlawed. Yeah, I was like, oh yeah, we we learned that, that this thing should have gone through more beta testing. <laughs> um, so then the last story would be the story of Nish's father, who we actually saw part of that story in the the Jack and Carrie story. Because there's at one point he's he, there's the TV's on in the background and there's a trial about the murder the trial yeah he gets he's uh, on trial for murdering some lady I forget what it was but he uh, he he knows he didn't do it or he says he didn't do it uh, he doesn't believe that he'll end up going to prison for it no let alone being executed for it he does but before he does he tells Rolo or Rolo comes to him with an option saying look. If you are going to die, let me take an uh, imprint of your consciousness as you're dying so that I can have you in my museum and uh, your family will get this, all this money for it, for it. Now, this is the one story that I felt was the most forced. Oh, really? Yes. Because it's the one where Rolo isn't playing more. Like, Rolo gives the option to people... And it says, hey, you know, there was consequences to this thing, you know, like, but 
it wasn't like he had that much of a role in it other than just offering people an option. You know, like an offer that was too good to refuse at a time. Well, I mean, there is no con. There is no. There's no consequence in this one because the guy is already dying. The only reason, the only way that he gets the guy's consciousness is if he's on death row, if he's about to die. Right. So I just don't see why he thought it would have been a good idea, because everything else comes from a place of like, well, we have this thing that can help. You know, the first one was to help diagnose patients. The second one was to help give Carrie a new lease on life by still continuing to exist. And this one helps out the family with money. Yeah, that it, it just doesn't feel like it fits in, though. Okay. It doesn't feel like the same type of motif, the same uh, drive. Well, it really feels more like this was entirely Rolo just thinking, oh, this will be the main attraction of my Well, I mean, it, it, that was. And, that, and, you know, this at this point, he'd already been kicked out of the company that he was working for, and he tried to come up with some new idea, and apparently he still had some, some technology on his hand. Yeah, so he decides to make this the... Uh, I guess the centerpiece of this black museum where, uh, hey, you can now, like, electrocute a convicted murderer over and over again for his crime. So there's a little bit of a white bear thing going on with that theme. Mm, yeah. But um, I don't know. It just doesn't s- – this one's the only one that didn't really gel with me. Like, I was cool with the first two, especially the first one. I thought the one by Penn Jillette with the doctor was awesome. Of course, because it involves sex. The second one was, well, I mean, yeah, that was part of it, but I just like the idea of, you know, something that was created for good just becoming really, really twisted. (laughs) Um, And the second one was cool just because of, like, man, like, what kind of living hell would that be? This one was just like, well, See, once again, you're wrapped up in the idea that this, this is an actual living something. Like, it's... It's having I think to experience we're supposed this over. To take it as that is what's happening. Like, I, I even though the person's not alive, their consciousness is still existing in, in this digital state. But I, I, I can't, I can't get. I maybe you just don't have any empathy for like our cybernetic overlords. And this is why I, I don't. I really today. don't. Look, I, I know that's like the theme of a lot of science fiction. Of one day we'll be able to download our consciousness and we'll live forever or whatever. But I just singularity. don't think it's popular. It's 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 possible. Is that what that's called? Because I just watched a movie called The Singularity. And I, I was, that's what it is. I right? was I was expecting there to be a like a black hole in there some point or like time travel. <laughs> well, they also called it like transcendence or. Well, there was Johnny Depp's movie Transcendence. That one has a lot more to do with uh, digitization, but I do believe that the point in technology when we can get to something like that is singularity. Because it'd be like. Well, there's no going back from this. We can do this now. Oh, okay. What does this mean for? Well, there, yes, exactly. And I just don't think that it one, it's going to be possible, and two, uh, is that really you anymore? It, it's it, it's it's just the program that thinks it's you, and there's the dilemma. I I just think, I guess it's hard for me to get into that mindset. Like, I understand that's what the episodes are trying to be. Like, this is a consciousness, this is a living being, this is the person. Still, it's just, to me, it doesn't seem that way. Yeah, and I think maybe that's one of the main reasons why you didn't dig some of the episodes earlier this season. It's because Probably. you just couldn't get into that frame of, like, like, what a horrific thing. Like, let's say you woke up one day, and it turned out to not be you anymore. It's, like, a digitized version that you made of yourself to better handle your PDA or your cell phone. <laughs> and you're like, hey, what the hell? Like, 
I don't want to be in here. And they're like, well, you do what I tell you because you're just a copy of me. <laughs> you know, you're supposed to look after what I want to do. So if, uh, with the idea that, I thought the cruelest part of the of that particular story was that when people electrocute uh, Clayton, they also get a little, looked like Tamagotchi egg. Yeah, that was really <laughs> cool. Like a little 3D snapshot. Of the person being electrocuted. Yeah. And he even, Rolo goes on to say, it's not just a picture. It is literally a part of his consciousness stuck in there at the moment of his electrocution that you get to keep with you. I'm like, what kind of morbid bullshit is that? Like, why would someone want that? Well, I don't even know why someone would want to do the electrocution in the first place. But I guess that's why it's a black museum, right? Well, because I think, like, probably like you believe, this is not a real person. But <laughs> it's, it's true. You know, and you can do whatever you want to. But it. even if it wasn't a real person, I mean... I don't think I want to do that to a just just to do it. Like I I, I don't know. Maybe I do. I, I play video games. You shoot digital people all the time in that, and I don't have a problem. You know, I've always considered like, would it would it be possible to create a program where it's like The Sims, except all you do is just torture some poor like digital creation? See, I wouldn't want to do that. I would just get bored with it. Well, I think that that's what these episodes are showing, or at least this episode in particular is that there would be a niche set of people who would like to do that. Especially the... Well, take the, it like this. The white supremacist that goes... I've known people who play games like Grand Theft Auto and Skyrim, and they'll often deviate from the regular game, you know, create a save point, and then just go on a murder spree. Just kill every NPC in the most outlandish way possible for no real reason. Sounds like people that would really want the purge to come about. Basically, I think it appeals to some of the dark part of human nature that says that even though we have all this amazing technology, we are still somewhere inside us. There's still a primitive part that just wants to be like a bloodlusty like animal. And like in this civilized society, there's really no release for that kind of thing anymore, except maybe in a digital format. You know, we can still unleash our predatory, you know, thirst for blood on something that doesn't actually live, but gives us the illusion of, like, we're snuffing out its life force or causing it pain and torture. Well, you know what? At the very least, it it opens up the discussion, the topic, you know, the, the idea so that we can talk about it. And that's, you know, that's the good part. Have you ever heard of the psychological experiment? And I know that, like, since you watch a lot of SVU, there was an episode uh, that was like that with Robin Williams. Yeah, where you can hear the person being tortured in the other room, but yes. whether or not you do something. Right. So, like, that's based on a real experiment. But the, the experiment is that if, if there's more than, depending on the amount of people in the room, uh, whether or not someone else would do something, too. Oh, or you're talking about the one, like, uh, if... Uh, you turn up the knob and you hear screaming. Like, do you keep turning the knob or whatever? Yeah, basically, it's yeah. one of those. Like, and if, if there's an incentive for it or not, I do believe that. Like, one of them was like, if you don't do it, you might get the shock instead, or they oh, might give yeah. it to you first, or something. Right. Like that. Yeah. yeah. There's a few variations, but I still think that that speaks about human nature. That you know, deep down inside, uh, we're still kind of like you know, bloodthirsty animals in some sense, and we can't really exercise that. We have to repress that. And <laughs> sometimes you get an outlet, like maybe murdering NPCs in the video game, or, <laughs> you know, writing some really, really weird, you know, slash fiction, 
for uh, you know just writing episodes of Black Mirror. <laughs> maybe maybe we we should be thankful Charlie Brooker's getting all this out in this He's way. He's letting us see how it works out some of these uh, primitive primal things. Uh, we then find out that Nish is the daughter of uh, Clayton. Uh, she had tampered with the air conditioning unit outside earlier when we saw her go go near it. We didn't see her mess with it. Uh, all she did was stick like a jump drive into the AC unit, apparently. Because apparently they have USB drive or USB ports on there, uh, making the unit um, stop. So. It got hotter in there and causing Rolo to need to drink some water. Drinks it, drinks her water, which has a poison of yeah. some sort in there. Uh, this was a very intricate plan. It was very intricate. For someone that looked at first to be there just by complete randomness and accident, right. the way she was acting. Uh, you find out that the her mother at one point had come come there to see what had happened to Clayton. Um, she dies. Suicided herself, yeah. Is that what happened? Well, she said, Nish says she uh, found her uh, with an empty bottle of pills. So Nish was able to put her consciousness into her it's own herself, head, just yeah. like Jack and Carrie. Uh, then they upload Rolo's consciousness into... Clayton's, Clayton's digital, consciousness. digital consciousness. Yeah. This was a whole lot of downloading section in the last <laughs> five minutes of this episode. And then they cranked up the virtual electric chair to all the way up to the 15 mark or higher or whatever. Yeah, the idea was that you could electrocute the digital Clayton for up to 10 seconds, 15, and you risk uh, destroying uh, the, the program that was holding his consciousness, I suppose. And uh, so she basically let it run for that long. And since uh, Rolo would experience everything that Clayton experiences, just like we saw with Jack and Carrie, he, he experiences the, uh, the electrocution. Sorry. Yeah. And then his consciousness is the one that's inside the Tamagotchi toy. A little memento, yeah. Yeah. And she gets to keep that. And then comes to find out, yeah, that... Uh, Nisha's mom's consciousness was in her this whole time. How it got in there, we're never told. No. Um, well, I mean, obviously Nish is somewhat of a computer whiz because she was able to. Because then she's able to take Rolo's consciousness and put it into the digital consciousness. Which they never explain how that's possible. No. And if you could do that, I don't know why they can't get poor Carrie's consciousness out of the damn monkey and put her <laughs> into something that's a little more robust or, at the very least, something that isn't like confined to just monkey happy and monkey need a hug, you know, give her something where she has more room. So at the end of the episode, when she's taking off, cause she ends up setting the black museum on fire. Yeah. When she's leaving, did she take the monkey with her? Yes, she did. She did. Okay. Uh, I knew the monkey was sitting there watching Rolo get electrocuted too, but I didn't. And then she says monkey happy. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it would have been nice for her to be able to do something, but obviously the, third story or the end of the story ends up involving a lot with the Jack and Carrie story, but did anything from the doctor's story end up in in there? Like, they didn't use the neural net or anything like that, no. you know? So that was literally None just the, the... feeling somebody else's pain. That was just Pendulette's story thrown on there at the beginning yeah. just for the... just for the extra bit of it. Just for the rigor mortis boner. Oh, Jesus. 
Uh, all right. So I would have to say that I definitely enjoyed this episode. I thought it was, it was a good episode. Um, I love the three different stories. I loved uh, how it all interconnected, other than the fact that that didn't the Pendulette story didn't connect. Um, I liked the character of Rolo, like how he was very despicable and you know got his just desserts in the end. Uh, you reminded me a lot of a, the of the kind of character that you would see in something like uh, Tales from the Crypt. Yes, this was very much a, like a Tales from the Crypt episode. I felt like yeah, because there was definitely some comeuppance. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, I hope the, the next season, whenever we get that, would be would have more episodes like this that you know does a little bit something different. And uh, I liked all the Easter eggs that you saw throughout the episode. Uh, what what your final thoughts on this episode, John? Um, I thought this was definitely the best episode of the season, even though I didn't have as many problems with some of the earlier ones as you did. I thought this was definitely like true to form, like what Black Mirror should aspire to be more often than not. However, I did think that it was weird that once again, another episode in this season has to do with the whole downloading consciousness. Like, it seemed like that was a theme throughout this season, other than Metalhead. Yeah. Which wouldn't it be cool if it turns out that all those dogs have consciousness of soldiers or fallen people in them and. Well, that was anything. We, we wouldn't know because that, that's not involved in the story. In the movie, well, in the see, episode. you could take that as a good thing. Now that we know that there was a deeper story originally, then it gives you the room to kind of interpret things as you like. You could say, well, maybe there was human consciousness in these robots, and now they just live for the hunt. They got to be more free in their dog form than they ever were as humans because now they're free to roam the countryside and murder their fellow man. And live forever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, With your little shotgun hand. <laughs> that was so weird. All right. Uh, anything else you wanted to say? No. Is it going to be another uh, ten months before we get the next season? Probably. Well, we got a lot of time to kill until then. We do. So, uh, if you have any any suggestions on what you'd like us to watch for until Westworld comes out, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, I think out there right now is Dimension 404 and Electric Dreams on Amazon. I've been hearing really good things about Altered Carbon. Altered Car Carbon, yeah, that's another one that we were think we were talking about. So, uh, what would you like? Give us a drop us a line either on our Facebook or our our Twitter. And definitely settle the argument for us. Are these digital downloaded consciousness real, or are they just programs? And they deserve all the pain and suffering that they get. I didn't say they deserve the pain. I just say they don't deserve your sympathy. That's where I'm going with that. Well, maybe those things are not mutually exclusive. Maybe they are. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm on Twitter as at agent underscore of the underscore bat. John's also on Twitter as... No, I'm at Magic Bollocks. The rest of Geek Elite Radio is at Geek Elite Radio on Twitter. At Geek Elite Radio on Instagram. Facebook.com forward slash Geek Elite Radio is our Facebook page. And GeekEliteRadio.com is our website. Check out archived episodes of this podcast and other podcasts on the Geek Elite Radio Network. But until next time, this is the Geek's Watch on the Geek Elite Radio Network saying always remember to geek, geek out. out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.